Hello and welcome to Rock and Roll Politics, the podcast with me, Steve Richards. Thanks so much for tuning in wherever you are in the UK and indeed the rest of the world. And yeah, we've got a lot to cram in in our time together. If it's okay with all of you, I'm going to uh, reflect on a couple of themes. Uh, One of them being something that we have delved quite deep on uh, in the past, but something happened the other day, which uh, made me think, yeah, this highlights the completely bonkers pre-election tax and spend debate, which so curtails anything Labour dares say in particular, but it has wider ramifications. And I'll I'll tell you what that is. And then a brief reflection, because it comes up in a lot of your emails, um, where we are with the Green debate post Uxbridge. So those are a couple of reflections from me. Then over to your emails, a lot about the consequences. There are always consequences from by-elections. And I kind of reflected on some in the by-election emergency special on Friday after we got the results. But you have been delving deep yourselves with some emails, and I'll go to them. And before that, just a couple of notices. Uh, yeah, actually, kind of one, but they're interconnected uh, for Patreon subscribers. The bonus in August, some of you have been asking, will you record any of the Edinburgh Festival shows? And I thought we couldn't and wouldn't um, because it's expensive. You know, it's, it, it's like recording a Rolling Stones concert or Blur live at Wembley from a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it's technically and uh, costs and all the rest of it. But the brilliant uh, Podmasters have suggested uh, we do it for Patreon subscribers. So if you subscribe to Patreon, your bonus podcast in August will be one of the live shows. They're different each day, so I'm not sure which one we're going to do and how it's all going to work. That will be kind of presided over for me. But if you subscribe, uh, you will get one of them, but it's not as much fun as being there. So for those of you who can come, please do. Uh, It's from August the 13th and tickets are on the Edinburgh Fringe website and there will be a link to the blurb of this podcast. And for those of you kind of in London and beyond, um, I'm announcing a brand new show, I haven't been there for ages, at King's Place in London on September the 13th. And that will be the start of the new political year, the build-up to the party conferences. It's always that have been uh, cabinet reshuffle, shadow cabinet reshuffle, it'll be different, different, different. Um, And I'll put the link where you can get tickets for that. Um, It it will be the beginning of, yeah, the epic pre-election year. God, blimey. We all need a break, don't we? Um, I'm not going to get one, but I hope you all do. Anyway, now on to one of our favourite themes this kind of pre-election tax and spend debate where if Starmer or Rachel Reeves or anyone appears, uh, there are questions. So you claim to be doing this, but if you do that, won't there be a black hole of 1.5 billion? And so you have to have this mad game being played where you get Labour claiming that their tax on non-DOMs and ending the charitable status of private schools will be transformative whilst uh, not worrying too many people. And of course, those kind of measures will raise about 25 
pence, but it sort of does provide that protective shield. It is it is paying for the transformation of the NHS, uh, child uh, care facilities, uh, breakfast clubs, and all the rest of it. So you don't get so many interrogations about black holes and tax bombshells. It's a game. It's a really dangerous game because it hems governments in. Because what you say before an election does, to some extent, determine what you can do in power. And that's what's really depressing about the British tax and spend debate. It only happens to Labour. It doesn't happen to the Conservatives. I mean, one of the fascinating areas of the tax and spend madness is have a look at what the Tories were pledging in December 2019, as well as the lie about getting Brexit done. They were promising the earth you know, whilst not putting up any taxes, uh, they were going to sort out social care, they were going to, you know, level up, which in reality would cost billions and billions of pounds. But at the same time, you know, no one was going to have to pay any more taxes. In fact, if anything, taxes would come down. It was cakeism. And yet there were no great memorable interrogations of Boris Johnson or the then Chancellor, believe it or not, the Chancellor during the election was uh, Javid. He lasted about 10 minutes, of course, before Rishi Sunak was put in by Dominic Cummings. But there were no famous interrogations already now, although it is at least a year probably before the next election. Uh, and every time you, you get Starmer, it's why he fell into that mess about whether they were going to reverse the benefit freeze on those with more than two children. Um, it's already well underway. And of course, he lacked the verbal dexterity to get round it. And there will be many more of those. This tax, yes or no. This spending cut, yes or no. This blah, 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 yes or no. And what happened as a result of that Koonsberg thing when he was on uh, last Sunday was more, it was it was billed as a sort of Labour Party crisis. It was a media training crisis. Uh, there were two errors in that interview. One, he you, you don't agree to do these Sunday interviews without coming in with a line of your own to make a news story, because they're now designed basically to feed the news machine, these Sunday interviews. They don't delve deep. They don't last that long, although in fairness, that one lasted more than they usually give these interviews. So you come in with a news line. I'll give you a classic example of this and how it can work, however absurd it is. Um, during the pre-election period of in the build-up to 97, Blair was due on the then David Frost programme, and they kind of pumped out all their lines, but they knew they had to find a line. And it was in that period where Blair was saying, education, education, education. Um, and so Blair went into this Frost interview and they devised this with Alistair Campbell. And, and Blair said, look, David, in our first Queen's speech, if we're fortunate enough to be elected, the first bill the Queen will read out will be our bill on education. Now, in reality, it didn't matter whether the Queen read it out fifth, sixth, or first. And incidentally, their first education bill, I remember David Blunkett telling me the education secretary probably didn't need legislation. Uh, but they used the House of Commons like a newsroom in that early phase. Anyway, the papers went crazy the next day. Blair's education priorities, blah, blah, blah. They had contrived a newsline, which of course he delivered brilliantly and convincingly. 
Now, if you don't do that, the, the news line will emerge on the terms of the interviewer. And that's what happened. And instead of, you know, they, they could have said, look, you're going to have to wait for all our precise details uh, for, for the election, but this needs to be looked at in a wider program of welfare reform. And of course, we condemn this particular measure we did at the time, but I'm not going to sit here now and pledge to reverse it on day one. There, there are ways in which you could do it. Anyway, now, tax and spend. So this will be the mad thing. And then on Friday, I was reading The Times, and on page six, I think it was, uh, it revealed that Jeremy Hunt, the current chancellor, had had a boost to the Treasury coffers of £4 billion because of the relatively high wage increases. Now, that those relatively high wage increases present other problems. But obviously, if wages go up, tax revenues go up. And he was getting an extra £4 billion that hadn't been anticipated in advance because of it. Now, £4 billion is much higher than what Labour are even claiming they will raise, I think, from the non-DOM tax and the uh, charitable status tax removal of private schools. And uh, there, there it lands. And it's up to Hunt to decide how to use that money. And that's how government works in reality. One of the farcical elements of the pre-election tax and spend debate is it works on the insane assumption that projected figures are cast in stone now and will apply in three or four years' time, irrespective of what happens in the world and to the British economy and all the rest of it. So we're going to go through this dance for the next 18 months. By the way, sorry, I use the word dance too much. Um, someone emails, so you see, we keep on using dance. I like it as a metaphor, but I like it too much. But I'm going to say it again. We're going to get this dance between now and the election, where Labour claim to make all their sums add up. And as I say, it provides a protective shield if they do it credibly, a big if, because it is incredible to claim you are going to transform this rundown country by a non-DOM tax and reform, in inverted commas. But in reality, what will happen, as it does with any government, is that sometimes revenues increase depending on what else is happening in the world and the British economy. It might not always, and a chancellor navigates accordingly. A clever opposition on the verge of government leaves space for revenue-raising measures because they will be essential. But I just thought, God, how weird it is that it's not a new story, this £4 billion. And yet, if Labour were to say, oh yeah, we are going to, um, I don't know, tax the very wealthy to get another £4 billion into the revenues, all hell would break loose. Hunt gets four billion because wage inflation is is an issue, and it's on page six. Uh, anyway, there we go. Uh, I think, by the way, if I were advising Kisan Rachel Reeves, I would just add that into the conversation when they are being tricked into acknowledging black holes or another spending cut or saying everything is terrible under this government, but we are going to stick to everything that they're doing, more or less, 
to point out that possibilities can and will arise in government. Look at Jeremy Hunt getting £4 billion that he hadn't anticipated. And just leave it at that. Don't say, you know, any more, but just add the point that part of the hope arises from the fact that this game where, you know, Starmer's team brief, we're not going to do that, 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 and then turn around and expect people to enthuse about the prospect of this change of government, you can just add in the, the world as it is rather than the trap of the tax and spend debate. Um, one other reflection, if it's okay with all of you, the Euless thing is, is interesting and complicated, the charge for diesel cars in um, places like Uxbridge. It wasn't, I suspect, the only issue in that by-election, but it clearly was an issue. And you can sort of understand why, frankly. Um, although it didn't a- affect that many motorists, it is punitive for those who continue to drive diesel cars. Now, I know all of you will be thinking, yeah, so it bloody well should be. Um, but I say, uh, no, it bloody well shouldn't be, to be honest. If you are going to embark on what in effect will be a green revolution, it cannot appear at this early stage in any way at all as punitive. Of course, some of the changes will be hard on some people. But at this early phase, it needs to be framed in terms of opportunity. And therefore, there do need to be transitional arrangements in place. Um, we had a, a, a diesel car. We, we, we live in the sort of central, you know, the first bit of London that was uh, uh, where the Ulis applied. We had this, and we were obviously going to get rid of the diesel car that we had, but we were still sorting it all out on day one and didn't realise if you just sort of drove down to the petrol station, you'd be hit with the Ulis thing. And we got about three of these uh, Ulis things on day one. We made sure the sale went through very quickly after that. But it is tough. And it's the same with the announcement about the North Sea drilling. And in a way, there has to be a transitional period between the closure of various projects and job losses, um, or the threat of job losses. And I think there does with EULAs too. And it could be via the scrappage scheme being more generous, etc. But all of this should have been fixed up before the by-election, really. Um, It's an interesting example. Uh, Starmer and his office are uh, clearly... um, you know, if there's anything uh, in the way of an election victory, they just cut it off. You know, let's, uh, Corbyn is an issue. Let's stop him standing as an MP. Uh, you know, it's Euler's. Well, let's scrap that. But of course, they can't because it's in the power of Sadiq Khan. It's a really interesting example of the tension between the centre and the local, as I mentioned in our by-election emergency special. But yeah, I think there do need to be transitional arrangements. And in a way, the example is what happened when Thatcher closed the mines in the 1980s and did nothing to give alternative forms of employment and hope to the towns that had been dependent on mining. And it's really interesting reading the memoirs of Tory cabinet ministers at the time who argued 
retrospectively that that was one of their biggest mistakes. Um, And if you looked at the towns, they became ghostly. And if there had been a transition, it would have been a less brutal experience. And I don't think there's anything wrong with exploring transitional arrangements without for one second diluting the objective or the means towards these objectives. But the the moment that the whole climate change set of policies become hair shirt and, and you mustn't do this, you mustn't do that, and if you do, you'll be charged quite a lot of money uh, as a kind of punishment, the framing becomes much more difficult. I suspect a lot of you will disagree with this and say that the urgency is such that it just comes in. If people still have these diesel cars, they should pay the bloody ULES cost now. Um, I kind of think that they need to be guided towards it. And the, the need to explain is fundamental. There isn't much explanation done in politics at the moment. There are a few politicians addressing the why question on a range of policies, including this one. And there was very little framing pre-Uxbridge, even though everybody knew an Uxbridge by-election was likely for a long time because Johnson was so dodgy. But anyway, that I think needs to be looked at again. How you frame the tax and spend debate, how you frame the climate change debate, given how wobbly and nervy the Labour leadership tends to be, are pretty fundamental, I think, as issues and challenges over the next year. And we haven't really got into the whole Tory response to Uxbridge and Sunak, who has shown no great interest in uh, green issues. Uh, Yeah, you watch them pose as the motorist friend in the coming months, although it's going to be tricky for them because they too have a significant section of their party that is committed to green issues. And it was very interesting hearing Andrew Mitchell, uh, the minister, um, on the radio on Monday morning trying to commit to the target for removing petrol cars, um, but uneasy about it because he senses that this could change very much against his will. And then you have Zach Goldsmith, Johnson himself, lurking, who became a convert. You never know with him the degree to which that is deeply embedded. But the, it, it won't be easy for Sunak to pose as the motorist friend, etc., etc., Um, but I suspect they're going to try. And now over to all of you. And just a reminder, it's uh, steverick14 at icloud.com if you want to join our never-ending debate where we delve deep and try to make sense of it all and, on the whole, totally fail. And, uh, yeah, first of all, I got an email from Neil Sherlock, Neil Sherlock, senior uh, Lib Dem. I bumped into Neil. We've known each other for decades uh, um, I bumped into him at the sort of Tony Blair love-in day the other week, you know, the one where Keir Starmer spoke. And, uh, yeah, God, I could talk a lot about that, but um, 
I've analysed the impact of Tony Blair on uh, on Keir Starmer via the Observer article Keir wrote the other day, or Keir's team wrote the other day. So I'm not going to do that. But anyway, Neil was there, and we had a good conversation because he and I used to, in the mid-90s, uh, when uh, Tony Blair was very close to Paddy Ashtown, reflect on the sort of Lib Labbery thing of that period. And then, of course, what happened, the ultimate twist is that in the end, the Lib Dems joined forces with the Conservatives in 2010. Anyway, Neil was talking about economic growth and how Starmer could be bolder. And this is interesting. You see, he's a Lib Dem. Uh, and he came up with some very interesting, he emailed me with some interesting ideas and asked if I could uh, read them out because it is an example of how, you know, if you talk about economic growth, you really do have to explain how it's going to happen. Anyway, Neil writes, even within his own constraints, that's Keir Starmer's constraints, these are his ideas, devolve more powers, including tax-raising powers to councils, and more above a certain population size. Introduce a land tax on every year developers don't develop as the quid pro quo for planning reform. Abolish NI, national insurance, and have a hypothecated health tax based on income have as a condition of stability that businesses, investors, pension funds have to provide an agreed proportion of the 26, I think it's 28 billion pounds a year for the Green Investment Fund. Introduce proportional representation for local government in England to underlying cooperative politics and use the review of the Brexit deal to, as a first stage of engaging back with our biggest market, agree deals for services, which would do more for growth than just using the word three times. Um, yeah, uh, really all very interesting ideas. Uh, now, some of them might be adopted and could be within, as Neil says, the uh, self-imposed constraints. But I thought they were very interesting and showed that you, you know, because Kissam's going to be asked all the time, economic growth is one of his five missions. How? 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 That how question. And he also needs always to address the why question. Why are you saying this? Why are you proposing this? Why are you proposing not to do things? And uh, yeah, so thank you, Neil. Um, uh, Stephen Towns, you're right. I don't live in London, but I'm taken aback by the hostility to Sadiq Khan's EULA scheme. It's a scheme that started with Boris Johnson as mayor. Then the government insisted it accelerated to outer London in exchange for transport funds for Sadiq Khan. Yeah, this is important and, and an element missing out completely missed out um, that this was part of a deal with the government to get funding so that has been kind of lost in the noise about oh you know the sort of oh we got to drop it now sort of scream that has come out um as a result of uxbridge um dan and paul dan didn't um you haven't given your surname paul but anyway you mentioned uh, paul what am i saying dan from paul not Paul from Dan. Dan, you mentioned in your podcast about the swing from the Conservatives to Labour in the Selby by-election. However, noting the turnout was down by some 20,000 from 2019 and that the Labour vote was close to the 2019 result while the Tory vote collapsed, would you agree that the by-election suggested less of a swing and instead a no-show from those 2019 Conservative voters. Uh, yeah, it's a good point, Dan. I've heard others make it. Pippa Crare, I did a review of the kind of political year 
for the week in Westminster on Saturday, and Pippa Crera from The Guardian made this point, and Labour need to reflect on this. If you're going to get them not just to not turn out, uh, but to vote for you, there need to be reasons. And as ever, winning is not a science, but it's an art form. And it's a combination of reassurance and a sense of exciting purpose and mission. Um, so uh, many issues arise from this. Uh, Nick Jones, amid all the coverage and comments on the by-election results, I was struck by the reluctance of anyone to specifically ask the Labour leadership about Somerset and Froome. There was the same reluctance to mention by most uh, columnists. Is this a direct result of the rule that has caused the inquiry into Neil Lawson. Yeah, what Nick is referring to, of course, there was extreme tactical voting in Somerton and Froome to the point where the Labour candidate lost its deposit. But when Neil Lawson advocated tactical voting, he was threatened with expulsion from the Labour Party. I think he still is. Uh, tactical voting is going to go on. And uh, I think I mentioned it in the emergency podcast uh, that when the Tory chair, chair Greg Hans said, oh, what a disastrous result from Somerton and Froome, the Labour candidate lost its deposit, it was a triumph. It was a triumph of uh, tactical voting. And uh, I, I think that's the main, le- there were many lessons from those by-elections, but the main one is tactical voting is in place. It doesn't need leaders to tell people to do it, they do it. And if I were a Tory MP, I would be really worried by that above all the other things that are going on. Paul Cooper, uh, Eunice was badly flawed, uh, but to do nothing about the dirty air in many parts of London would be a cop-out. How would Sadiq Khan uh, be treated by the media if he simply ignored or had no plan to tackle the clear risk to health for Londoners? Uh, He's got to do it, uh, Paul. It's just how you manage the transition, as I've mentioned. John writes from uh, rainy Manchester. Uh, I've had a back injury, so I listened to you flat on my back, waiting for the painkillers to kick in. Your thoughtful, long-form analysis is always very calming. Well, I hope it adds to the painkillers and kills the pain, John. Uh, John wonders, is Sunak likely to call an autumn 23 election? He had a relatively good uh, result in Uxbridge, or so he claims to think, and Putin will probably weaponize food and fuel again in the winter. Inflation may rise again in response. Is it now or never? Um, It won't be now, John. I don't think it will be May next year either. Prime ministers always cling on in the hope that things will turn round triumphantly. And I still think we should be thinking about October or November of next year. Uh, Anyon writes, thank you for the excellent podcast. Oh, thank you very much. I do wonder, though, whether we are missing a trick. When you say Kiyosama uses the language of 1997, Blair, boldness, etc., isn't he closer to the approach of John Smith, who tried or was alleged to have tried uh, the sort of one more heave approach? Um, If you recall, John Smith embarked on a safe and cautious strategy after 1992. Um, 
I don't think that's quite fair in relation to John Smith. It was always the allegation made against him as a Labour leader that he was sort of became the cliche, one more heave, you don't have to do very much and Labour will win. We haven't got time now to go into his leadership, but I don't think that's a fair characterization. And in a way with Starmer, it's not right either. Well, we'll go into it again in the autumn, but you know, if you can compare where start what Starmer inherited to where Labour is now, I think he's made some big mistakes en route, strategic mistakes, and continues to do so. And although there is an extreme caution in moving away from the Tory policies that he condemns, it's not quite fair to say he is cautious. I mean, being Labour leader is tough, tough, tough. And um, anyway, uh, so no, I, I I don't think John Smith was that cautious, and I don't think Starmer is. When are you up in Yorkshire, and you're hopefully soon, but if you if you're in Yorkshire, get a train up to Edinburgh for the Edinburgh Festival, live from August the thirteenth. Uh, Denise Willier uh, writes, I've been uh, uh, reading the newspapers and the narrative. You predicted that they would challenge Labour on its uh, green policies. And that is what has been happening. But this is to misunderstand that the sensible wing of the Tories is made up of so-called Attenborough Tories, who are well tuned into the climate and nature crisis. Yeah, I, I, I agree, Denise. It's going to be hard for Sunak to really turn against the Tories' uh, green agenda, um, because there are lots who, as you say, it's a good description. I've never heard of it before. The Attenborough Tories, who are committed, I mean, and and some of them are quite prominent. You know, say so you get the Zach Goldsmith Johnson himself, uh, John Gummer pops up still, doesn't he, and and, and others. But uh, yeah, she wonders whether yeah Andrew Marr wrote a piece for the Statesman saying Starmer's most dangerous months now lie ahead. Do I agree? Yes, I do. It's always the dangerous period for a Labour leader the year before a general election because the Tory papers start firing missiles left, right and centre. It's one of the differences with 97 where the Tory papers were either neutered or uh, supportive of Blair and much more. The scrutiny intensifies big time. Uh, now, Denise Williams' mum is part of our rock and roll politics focus group. And she says, my mum is still intending to vote Labour. She used to be a Tory. Interestingly, her staunch Tory voting sister voted Green at the last election, blimey, and is now asking if Labour could find another leader other than Keir Starmer, who she won't vote for. Um, well, there won't be a change of leader before the next election. So your mum's sister uh, in our focus group is clearly not going to go for Labour. John McIntosh from Macclesfield. Uh, yeah, enjoyed your emergency podcast. Yeah, and uh, yeah, lots of emergency programs and podcasts. Won't be able to join the Monday Patreon session as hopefully we'll be on a, an efficient German high-speed train from Stuttgart to Munich, but we'll listen on Catch Up later. Yeah, those of you on Patreon, if you can't join the Monday live evening session, and some of you will be listening to it after it's happened, it will be there for Patreon subscribers. Uh, hopefully you'll allocate time to the question of tactical voting and look forward to mid-beds by-election if Nad Nadine Doris ever resigns. Yeah, tactical voting. Tactical voting in mid-bets will be really interesting because, uh, as John has pointed out in several emails, 
you have to choose who the challenger to the Tory is in a place like Mid-Beds. Labour or the Lib Dems both could claim to be a challenger. And that's when tactical voting becomes tricky. But that doesn't apply to many constituencies. Mostly, it's relatively straightforward. So the Lib Dem candidate was the challenger uh, in Somerton and Froome, and Labour voters voted Lib Dem. And in Selby, Lib Dem voters voted Labour. And it's straightforward. Uh, If Nadine Doris ever goes, and by the way, there's absolutely no sign of her going now because she didn't get that peerage. It's it's like dealing with five-year-olds. You know, that one is more complicated. But I think Labour are putting claim to it. It'll be interesting to see whether Lib Dems accept it if there ever is a by-election there. Um, uh, Thank you very much. Uh, uh, We better get going, I suppose. Let's do a few more. Andrew Kitchen. After the autumn reshuffle, Labour needs to start setting out its stall. An election could come any time as the polls start to narrow. Indeed, I think the actual announcing of the election will lead to an automatic narrowing. There could be a narrowing during an election campaign, I agree. I think Labour need to be lighter on their feet and be prepared to throw a few surprises in. Uh, what about close alignment with our European partners? Well, don't don't expect that line, Andrew. Um, he, he says they were leaden-footed in response to ULITS, uh, which was imposed by central government. Enjoy Edinburgh. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I was thinking of kind of Harold Wilson figure. He used to sort of look 10 pieces ahead on the chessboard. Uh, would have seen ULITS and Uxbridge coming two years ago and had a conversation with Sadiq Khan about the best way of dealing uh, with it. Um, but yeah, close alignment with their European partners, I think it would happen under a Labour government, but I, I don't think they will have the language or suppleness to do it in advance. Um, talking of which, Dorothy Alderson says that um, she was very supportive of Keir Starmer when he took over, but gradually feeling too many mistakes are being made and she says, um, I'm starting to have an awful sinking feeling. I hope I'm wrong. Um, it's a long way to go. And remember, it's, it, I, I think it, it's it's so interesting psychologically, those by-election results, because uh, if the Tories had lost all three, and remember they nearly lost Uxbridge, actually, I think the mood around the next election would still be focusing very much on how the heck Sunak avoids a disaster. And it might be that that is the question we pose um, in in the autumn. I suspect not. I think it's going to be more febrile and complex and layered than that. But we shall see. And um, yeah, well, look, thank you very much for those. Got loads more, actually, but I think we'd better leave it there. As I say, there's a lot going on. Edinburgh looming just fixed up this king's place on september the 13th and um yeah i've got a book coming out but you i hope you all get holidays and we will be continuing in various forms with the uh podcast over the coming week summer recess it'll be once a week not twice a week in the summer recess and some specials coming up in various forms and as I say those of you in patreon uh, if you can't get to the festival, but even if you can, uh, because each show is going to be different there each day, we're going to work out a way of recording a bonus live from the festival for Patreon subscribers. Uh, anyway, look, thank you very much for helping us all make sense of the last few days, which have raised many interesting questions. And yeah, get baking, running, have a glass of wine or whiskey. And uh, let's get together.
make sense of it all again very soon. Thanks a lot. Bye.